For as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a teacher. I know I'd go from rags to riches. Welcome to What Do You Teach with Brian Elberg. Every teacher that I know wrestles with the question of whether or not to grade classroom participation. On the one hand, it feels like a great way to boost kids' grades who come every day and have a lot to add to the class discussion. But on the other hand, it's a pretty subjective way to assign grades, and at the end of the day, grades really do matter. That's why I was really excited to read Dr. James Lang's article in the Chronicle of Higher Education in which he discussed this idea of whether or not we should grade classroom participation. I was even more excited when Dr. Lang agreed to sit down with me to talk about it on the podcast. In this conversation, we get into whether or not it's a good idea to grade classroom participation, what kind of students it helps, what kind of students it hurts, how to get those students to participate who never seem to want to join the discussion no matter what. And finally, if you are going to grade class participation, what's the best way to actually do it? I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. James Lang. All right. Well, I'm very excited today to be joined by the director of the DeMore Center for Teaching Excellence at Assumption University and the author of Distracted, Why Students Can't Focus and What You Can Do About It, Dr. James Lang. Thank you for joining me. You bet. Thanks for having me. So, um, Jim, I read your, um, your articles on classroom participation, and basically that is the big question that I want to talk to you about. Should we, should we grade classroom participation? Well, I did grade classroom participation for a long time because I, I'm, a, I'm a professor of English and I teach literature. So I have always ran my classrooms by discussion as the sort of primary mode of teaching. So, you know, if students aren't uh, willing to participate, then the class session kind of goes nowhere. <laughs> right. End up defaulting into lecturing and that's the last thing that I want to do. So, for a long time, I did. Um, I graded class participation, and I did it the way that I had sort of my classroom participation been graded when I was a student, and the way I knew a lot of my colleagues did it. And they just kind of like set aside 10% of the grade. And then, you know, at the end of the semester, you kind of eyeball a student's name, and you say, all right, did this student speak a lot or not? And if they spoke a lot, then maybe you give them that full 10% and it nudges their grade up. Or if they didn't speak, then you just, you know, give them, you know, like 80% of that grade, and then it keeps their grade where it is. So there were two things that I think people typically do with that grade. One is they, um, you know, they, 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 as far as I'm concerned, there are two problems with doing that. The first okay. is it's very hard to, at the, you know, like in the first week of May or whatever, to remember how much a student spoke for the course of three months. And right. I think really imprecise. Our memories for that kind of thing are not great. Um, secondly, what I, what I did, and I, what I know a lot of people do is, and I've heard plenty of faculty say this, that grade nudges people's grades up and down. So if it's like a student who, you know, you like and, uh, you know, has been sort of a good egg in the classroom, well, you, you, you nudge up their grade with that classroom participation grade. That's really not an equitable thing to do. You know, I mean, we really should be kind of making sure that everybody get, is evaluated by the same standards and that we're not kind of like um, rewarding students who for some reason we find more pleasing or that you know um, we think are doing their best where there, there might be other kids in the class who uh, for, for reasons that are completely not their fault um, are not gonna participate in, at the same level, right? Because of 
you know, problems going on in their home lives or, you know, the anxiety or, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why a student might not participate quite so robustly and doesn't deserve to kind of not get that same boost as the student who, who jumps in and raises their hand every time I pose a question. So I guess what I hear that I have a lot of different reactions. And the first one is some people would say like, participation is just another thing that you get graded on, right? So you get graded on your test scores and you get graded on your homework turn in and you get graded on your classwork. And then I also grade you on how much you talk in class. So if you're not, if you're one of those people who's anxious, well, good news, it's only 10% of your grade. So those other things that we grade on, we're actually using to measure learning though, right? So like the test measures how much the student has learned. If I'm grading just on participation, all I'm grading on is how many times did you open your mouth? Like you could, you could open your mouth and say something that has, shows me nothing about your learning. And totally. I, I have a, such a vivid memory of this. When I was in Spanish in high school, our teacher said to us, all right, I got this great idea. You don't pay attention to each other's presentations. So I'm going to grade you on the questions you ask to each other when you present. And the straight A students in the class, shout out Alexa Franco. She did it every time. She would raise her hand. And the first question every time, why are you interested in this subject? And she just <laughs> clearly was just saying it because she right. was like, I'm getting a grade for asking a question. So I'm going to ask this. And I so can see so many of my students saying, all right, well, Elberg grades me on how many questions I ask. So I'm going to ask a question every day, even if I don't need to ask it, even if I already understand everything, I just need to get my numbers up here. And right. And then once they ask the question, then they check out. They're like, oh, right. that's my question. Then I'm done for the day. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, so if, if you were able to grade participation in a more substantive way, like say I was able to, let's say I recorded the class and then afterwards I went and I looked in and like evaluated the quality of each student's comment. Okay, that's fine. First of all, who has time to do that? And I second, was about to say, if you have time, if you have time to record no. your class and go back and look at every yeah. comment, you are doing something wrong. You should not have exactly. that much time. And so then if you don't do that, I think it's just impossible to kind of be a good discussion leader and still, and then be at the same time stopping to, you know, note who made a good, dis, you know, quality comment versus who's making a superficial comment. I just think it's impossible to do that in a way that is, again, fair and uh, really accurate. So then I feel like I agree. I, I, I like what you said before, and it makes total sense to me. We have certain kids who are quiet. We don't just want to penalize them because they don't feel like sharing out. But then what about this student, the student who shows up every day, they love you, they love the class, they want to participate, they ask a billion questions, but the problem is they fail every test, they fail every quiz, they lose their homework at night. So at the end of the trimester, you're looking at their grade and you're saying, okay, they have a 62, yeah. but I can't fail this kid who shows up and participates every day. I want to bump him up. Yeah, so I mean, I... I wrote a, you know, I originally, I wrote two columns about this. The first column was my presentation of why I don't think we should grade participation. The second one, though, was there are actually still good reasons why we might want to grade participation. And that was the first reason I cited, because there are some students for whom um, that subject matter is difficult, it's not their strength, and they need some help in getting their grade up. And just being able to speak and, and contribute and be a good sort of steward in the class that can help them get their grades up. So I do think there are, are ways to grade participation which are more equitable and accurate. Um, I was really writing against the sort of traditional, sort of very imprecise way that it's often done. So you can use a grading system for participation that, that rewards that student, but I think you have to be deliberate about how you're doing it. 
Um, so the two, two yeah, so what, is, what are some of those ways right, that we so can create participation? So the two alternatives that I proposed in, this, in the follow-up article were, first of all, self-documentation. So that at the end of class or at the end of every week or something like that, you, add, you give students a rubric which says, here are all the ways you could have participated in class this week. You document for me what you did. And then maybe even add a self-assessment. So how'd you do? And like, would you like to do better going forward? How does what you did compare to last week or whatever, compared to your peers, et cetera. So, you know, they could fill out a sheet in five minutes and then write a quick little few sentences. Then you have those, right? So if they do that right. every week at the end of this term, you've got these, you just keep them, you look at them and then you can give a, a, a and you, you know, if it's- I, uh, So my question right there is what's the stop students? Cause I, um, in one, master's program, we had to do that for every assignment. And I would just say, this is a perfect score every time because I yeah. wanted them to think that I'm handing in my best work every single time. So what's to stop my students who are like, wait, 10% of my grade is saying that I think I'm doing a great job. Yeah, I think I'm doing a great job. <laughs> so here's where you have to be, you have to be the teacher, right? Like right. First, you have to sort of stop and say, you have to look at them each week and say, is this accurate? Like, I mean, it's, easy, it's not that difficult to remember who spoke over the course of a week. Right. It's, it's really, it's when it's 13 weeks later that that's when the challenge comes. So at the end of the week, I could look those over very quickly and say, you know what, this student is giving themselves um, an A for participation, but they raised their hand one time and asked a question in three days. So like, then I, then I can actually, and I don't have to do this individually with each student, but I can, you know, at the beginning of each next week say, okay, a few of you are, are overrating yourselves. And here's what you said as a reminder, here's what the standards are. Right. right? And so you have to, if you want to get that A, you've got to meet these standards um, and I'm going to make sure that I look at that now, you know, going forward or whatever. So you have to do some of that um, in order for it to not devolve into a situation in which everyone's just sort of giving themselves the A's. So, um, you know, it's like as it, with everything in teaching, there's challenges to it and it's, it's not there's no easy solution to it. But I do think self-documentation and self-assessment is one thing you can do. The other thing I think you can do, um, and this is largely what I do, when students are doing active um, like an, um, so in, in, in a discussion class of mine, we don't, I don't just come in and say, you know, what did you think about the text? We typically do an activity first, right? Like, so like I might give them a poem and, and put them in groups and ask them to annotate the poem, right? So like, you know, and I'll, you know, say to them, you know, I want you to think circle words, write notes, everything you can think about at home. Then we'll discuss it. Like once you've done the initial work of it. Okay. Well now that annotation sheet becomes a document that I can collect, look at and give credit for. And I know that the students have done it work, you know, it's in class, I'm circulating and making sure that everyone's actually doing the sheet. And if it's a small enough class, I can do that. Um, or like I do polling or something like that. And the students then have to poll in. And so everyone that's in class and polls in for that day is going to get credit for doing that. So, so are you going to grade those for uh, accuracy or just completion? Completion. Completion. Okay. It's, in a way, it's like a participation grade, except... I've created it, so I know that it's actually a learning activity. Right. Okay. Just lobbing out a you know a pointless question. So because I've created the activities, I know they're good for them, and if they complete them, I'm going to give them full credit for that. So so is a way to think of that maybe grading for completion rather than grading for participation because that's a little less subjective. Yes, it okay. ensures exactly. It ensures two things: you're there, and you did this work. That's all that I'm checking for with these things. And for me. That is enough um, because I know that these things are, if they do them, it's going to help them. So, right. you know, that's all I really need. But in both cases, you'll see that the particip self participation and the engagement grade, um, it, I, I have something concrete to look at. I have a document. I have something other than just sort of me trying to remember who spoke 
um, and who didn't speak over the course of the whole semester. So that's, I favor those two alternatives. Lots of people actually wrote to me in response to these columns and offered other kinds of alternatives as well. So, I mean, I think there are ways to, to do it. Um, I just really, you know, would encourage people to step back from the kind of try to remember at the end and then just fudge people's grades around it. That to me just doesn't feel right. Right, I guess my, so when I'm thinking about this, I talked to John Hattie for an, for an episode of this podcast for the first episode. And his whole thing is, don't students don't notice, I shouldn't say his whole thing, but one of the points he made is um, students don't notice what you do, but they notice what you value. So I would think in a discussion-based class, or for example, I'm giving my science class tomorrow a fake law that's being passed here in New York, and I want them to discuss whether or not they think it makes sense to pass this law, right? What I am really do value is them sort of thinking about the article and ideally arguing with each other to try to convince each other that they are right about whether it is a good law or a bad law. I want to be able to grade that, but I feel like if I do try to grade it, then I'm falling into these traps of subjectivity. And if I don't grade it, then they're going to go, oh, well, this isn't graded. So I'll just check out, I'll answer a couple questions at the end, which is less subjective and hand those in. So how do I, how do you balance those? So I, I think that I have, you know, early in my career, I tried to get in those kinds of discussions where I was just like, okay, let's have an interesting debate about this. Now, I don't know if it's my particular institution, although I heard people complain about this at every kind of institution, um, students weren't always as willing to engage in those kinds of debates as I would have liked. <laughs> so I always, I, so I learned early on and then just kind of developed in um, the strategy of always, there's like a structured pre-activity to that, right? And that structured pre-activity is the thing that I use to encourage it. Once they've committed to that structured pre-activity, they're much more willing to like actually engage in the discussion because like, for example, in, in almost all of my classes, the first thing that happens is I'll come in and I'll say, okay, so let's say they've read a novel or whatever, um, and there's something controversial at the beginning, at the, you know, in the, in the part they read, I'm gonna say, okay, here's the, today's discussion question, um, and go ahead and write your one paragraph. So they write a one paragraph response, which is staking out a position. Well, then once they're done, then I say, okay, let's hear it, you know, who, tell me what you wrote and why. Then the discussion goes. Right. And like it, it goes not because I'm grading it, but because they they committed to an answer and they're kind of curious now to see what did, what did other people write? Like what you know, um, what is what, what do I think? Um, and so when you do these kinds of pre activities, again, it gives you something to grade, but also that's like seeding the ground for um, them to actually engage in a discussion because because um, they've really had a chance to think about it. And I think that is one of the issues too with discussions. We throw out these complex questions and then we're like, okay, four seconds later, like tell me what you think of this really complex <laughs> question, right? Like they need absolutely the, they need the time to think about it. And so um, you know, again, I would just say that focus the evaluation on the concrete things they do. And then the discussions, again, so part of what I argued in the in the um, in the article was that. I'm a big believer in inviting students to participate, even if they don't, uh, even if they haven't volunteered. And, you know, I'm going to come in and say, if it, first of all, if I do that writing activity, a lot of kids are going to um, volunteer for a little bit. When things right. start to lag, though, then I can say, Brian, I haven't heard from you yet. Do you want to jump in at this point and say something, right? I'm, and I'm willing to do that all throughout the discussion uh, to keep it going. And, you know, I usually do that a few times and then people start to realize, all right, you know, I might get called on, so I might as well offer my perspective. And if a kid says something like, no, I'm, I'm good, 
Do you count? I, 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 does that count? Does that count? Because in theory, they are, they could still be listening. They could just not have anything to say there. Because I think it's, we definitely do, and maybe this is a bigger point than even in schools, but I feel like in general, we always just value people saying things even, sorry, the best way to make this point is, I think it's a really valuable skill to know when you have nothing to offer to a situation. Yes. Yes. And so it's, of course, and I was, that's, that's clear from the beginning of the semester. You can always say pass if I invite you in, but okay. again, it, there's no punishment for that because I'm not, remember, I'm not grading it. Right. <laughs> so, so I don't grade the participation. So, um, so they're told from the beginning, like it says on my syllabus, there's a section, there's a paragraph on my syllabus that says, I do not grade participation because I expect everyone to participate every week. And I will re issue regular invitations for you to participate in class. You can turn them down, but you're still going to keep getting them. And so I think eventually people, and then, you know, you, to make that work, you have to do it in a warm and inviting way. Like mm -hmm. I, I you try to do it with you, Brian, I haven't heard from you yet. Would you, do you want to offer anything at this point? Right. And you can do that. I mean, as long as you're not a jerk and you're not like int intimidating your students, right. um, you create a warm classroom climate, then that kind of thing is okay. Because the other thing about it is there are students who are, you know, there are students who are anxious and, you know, of course, if we have accommodations, we need to be attentive to that. But there are also students who are like intimidated from participating by the really vocal students mm -hmm. who are taking up all the airspace. Or there are students who are not that confident in their abilities. But the, if I invite that student into class one time, they say something and I say, you know, that's a really good point. I never thought of that before. Wow, that kid's this whole academic career could be changed, right? Because they said something, it was affirmed, and they realized, you know what, I can do this. Right? Right. So those invitations, actually, as far as I'm concerned, are one of the most equitable things that we can do and one of the most inclusive things we can do. Everybody's voice matters. So I'm gonna, I wanna draw everyone's voice into the room. What about this student, right? Cause I'm picturing this debate happening in my class and I'm actually gonna change my lesson plan when we're done with this to make sure I have a warm, uh, sort of a warm up activity to get every student writing something down. Um, but what about this student, right? Cause I've taught many students like this over um, my career so far, right? Here's an article. Let's maybe try to do this warm up activity. Student reads the article, they say, I'm not doing this warm up activity. Maybe they struggle to read it. Maybe they are checked out that day. They, they're having a bad day. They're not doing the warm up activity. Now the debate starts, the conversation starts, and they're kind of, their ears perk up and they think, you know what? I actually do have a strong opinion on whether or not New York should ban beef to stop global warming. So now I'm going to jump in. But oh my goodness, participation isn't graded. So how do I help that student? I, I yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm not that concerned about that. The student has to complete the warm activity. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That that's what you that's what you're getting evaluated on, right? Yeah. Like so, I mean, I, I feel like there are some things that it's just. It's just I mean, you could say the thing about students is I don't want to take that test, right? But I'm interested okay. in the subject matter, right? Like we're gonna make the student take the test anyways, right? So like the warm activities are. I mean, the student can choose to check out and if want, but that's that's their decision. They're gonna lose those points. I, I you know, as long as the warm activity. I mean, you could you. One thing you could certainly do is make options for the warm-up activity, right? Like, so you could say you can do this or you can do that, and then that maybe that's more likely to catch that student. Okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. And then that yeah. would help to sort of bring that student in. Or maybe even if it's a small group of students, you can go up to them and be like, hey, this is an article about banning beef in New York State. Do you think it's a good idea? And they'll go, of course not. Great, write that down on the page. And now, yes, exactly. Yeah, and now you're getting a deal. Yeah, yeah, I think there are ways to address that. But um, again, if, you know there's a certain amount of expectation I have 
you know, if you're in the class, you're expected to do these things. And I, th I think they're, you know, th th there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm concerned. Um, what about this idea? Because I actually, um, something I've tried out and I'm trying it out this year and it's worked pretty well is not grading for, not deducting points for lateness um, on assignments, which I know is becoming more popular. And I've been doing that this year. But then I do think that sometimes there, I do again want to find a way to reward the students who hand things in on time in ways that are not just, I'm not calling your mom, you know, cause that's kind of what I say to them. If you turn it in on time, then I don't bother you about getting it in. So what about this idea of something like a professionalism rubric that I can grade at the end, which judges something like timeliness of assignments, timeliness to class, and maybe like a row for participation on that rubric. Have you, I haven't done anything like that. I mean, I, that's an interesting question. Um, so I guess the question is to, to, to try to tie it back to like the learning or whatever your objective is for the student, right? So like, mm -hmm. so, you know, being on time is not probably related to the actual learning of your class, right. but there may be other values that you're trying to instill in the students and professionalism certainly might be one of those. You, if you, you teach at high school, you said, so yes. you, know, you might want to be preparing students for success in college. And so, you know, getting your work done on time can certainly be a part of that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with making that part of a rubric for an assignment, um, that part of that has to include you You turn in on this date. Um, extensions are possible if you ask me in advance, et cetera, but um, if you don't, then you're gonna lose points for that. And I guess I don't see anything wrong with what you're saying either. There's a way to have a professionalism grade, like uh, everything's turned in on time and that, that, as long as you're explicit about it, like this is what it's for and this is what I'm trying to teach here. And um, yeah, I guess I don't see anything off the cuff, uh, off the top of my head, wrong with that. Um, again, just as long as you're you're clear about it and why you're doing it and what what's it supposed to achieve. Okay. Um, let's see. Is there anything else um, regarding participation that we haven't gotten to? You think? Um, let's see. I mean, I mean, the other question I guess that you know people do have is like the the students who who want to be able to. Um, when we either more just kind of generally introverted and anxious or, right. you know, don't feel comfortable participating in front of the whole class. And, um, and again, for me with those students, the, the, the thing that we have to, that we have to try to do is, is make sure that they understand that their comments are, are, are important and welcomed in the class. Um, even if we don't, um, even if we don't hear from them as often. Right. So like I've actually had, you know, this this was, has been a relatively new thing, but we get like accommodations letters for students who, you know, for example, might need extra time on a test or, right. Um, for the past few years, I've had accommodations letters for students who the accommodation was don't call them in a class. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting, you know, issue for me because that's a normal part of my practice. So for those particular students, I mean, what we might have to do is work with them in, you know, I tried to meet with those students individually and said, okay, can you tell me like, you know, if, if I invite you to just say yes or no to a question in classes, well, would that be okay with you or not? You know, and, and so then um, for some of those students, they were ultimately able to start participating in class because we had talked about it outside of class and worked out kind of a plan where that, that would enable them to participate. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's sort of like my classroom is like kind of like, um, you know, this place where everybody is constantly being forced to participate. Um, we do have to be attentive to the individuals in the class, 
but you know, if you're if you're spending a semester with students, you should, and your classes are not 300, you know, students. I think that's part of the work of being a teacher. You get to know them, and you know who needs what. Like, my wife is a kindergarten teacher, and we have five kids, and it's just <laughs> every student should get what they need, right? And that's not the same. So some students need warmer invitations or more regular invitations. Some students don't really need the invitation at all. They're going to jump in no matter what. So like, that's just part of like, it's like being a parent, being a teacher, you kind of have to be attentive to the students and know what some need and, um, and others don't. Yeah. And that's something that's always bothered me. I've taught a lot of uh, special ed students so far and people always say like, well, in the real world, this is how things are going to be. So we need to hold them to these standards. But I feel like and you sort of, as you graduate from college, ideally you can, you do have the opportunity to kind of make your own real world, if that makes sense, right? Like I'm someone who has a lot of energy, can't sit at a desk all day. That's why one of the reasons I became a teacher, because I have a job where I'm up all day until this year, walking around and expelling energy. So I was able to sort of make my own world in that way. And ideally students can do that, even the students who are quiet and may not participate in a traditional setting. Right. And actually, this is another interesting thing that's come up now is like the fact that especially over this, I mean, you know, obviously learning management systems and discussion boards have been around for a long time. But now that we all know how they work, because we've been forced to teach on like everyone was forced to teach online for a year and a half. Um, so we can make now more use of the technologies to enable those quiet students to participate in other avenues. Right. So like that's another thing that I could say, for example, to a student who is really uncomfortable participating in class. OK. What I'd like you to do is post a summary of the discussion every day, you know, after class on the discussion board. And that's the way that I, you know, you can fulfill the expectation for participation. Or I'm going to, you know, have some of my discussions can take place in class and some of them might take place online. So, um, you know, we have more uh, actually opportunities now um, for participation than we did when it was just the only opportunity was raise your hand in a crowded room and speak out. Right. So now there's right. other ways to participate. Right. So that's one of the maybe the benefits of the pandemic in some way. One of the things right. we can learn from it is that we are now opening up all of these different channels for students to submit work, to participate, to be a equally important member of the class. I think that's one of the the one of the big positives that will come away from this terrible experience is that yeah. a lot of faculty members who were not that familiar with technology and not that comfortable using it all of a sudden now have a kind of basic mastery of it and probably can see things that they can do more effectively or efficiently. Um, and we'll continue to do some of those things, even as we go back to our face-to-face -face classrooms. I had never used discussion boards myself, um, but I did use them and, and now I kind of like them. Um, I'm not gonna, they're not gonna substitute for class discussions, but I'm gonna use them for certain things now going forward. Um, I can also do certain, like I used to do like in-class surveys, like midterm evaluations and stuff like that, which now I realize can be done much more efficiently through my learning management system. So um, I was one of those people that basically used my learning management system for like, you know, putting my documents there, like there would be a syllabus there and using it as a grade book. And like, that's pretty much all I did with it. But now I'm gonna be using it much more robustly. And I think that's true of a lot of teachers. So that's a good thing. Um, I, just have, uh, I just have one more question, which I may put earlier, I'm not sure, but I was talking to, um, I have a bunch of lawyers I have a bunch of lawyers in my family who went to law school, right? And when um, at law school, so I've heard, there's this big threat of being cold called, right? Being cold called. But then I talk to them and I say, but wait, are they graded on this? And they go, oh, no, I'm not graded on it. So then I think, well, why does it matter then if you 
if you get, and is it just like, so is it just embarrassment? And so I guess my question is like, how does that sort of fit into this equation of like, it seems like not being embarrassed is such a huge calculus for certain people, even if it's not impacting their grade at all. Yeah, I mean, so the, um, I mean, the, the, in the law school thing, right, like where you're kind of grilling individual students, mm -hmm. that, that to me is a kind of, that's that Socratic approach, right? Like where right. you know, the, the philosopher Socrates would be kind of like um, getting one sort of interlocutor to kind of um, go through a problem with him. And his goal was to kind of show how that person's views were inadequate as a way of teaching the other people around him, which, you know, and, and essentially that's often what happens in, in like these law schools, right? Like the person, the professor is sort of interrogating in one individual and then everybody's kind of learning from that interrogation kind of at the expense of the individual, <laughs> like fully, uh, you know, up to speed on whatever he's or she is asking about. You know, I think in, 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 regular classrooms one of the things that we can think about is like what is the purpose of the discussion right so like um if my discussion if the purpose of the discussion is to sort of you know go kind of one-on-one -on -one hard at someone's perspective to change it like individually well then okay that makes sense but i think often in discussions we're trying to do something different um we're trying to either so i, I view this as the kind of two big things that are generally happening in my dis discussion classroom i'm having the first is um we first are just trying to clarify what's there. Like, so we've read a novel or whatever, and the first thing we have to do is just say, okay, let's remind ourselves what was in the book and like, what did we notice? What did we observe? That is a completely, like almost, it's almost an error-free zone, right? Where like everyone could just throw out, okay, yeah, I remember this character did this and this might be a symbol for that, right? Like, or uh, this reminds me of that other book that we read. So we're just kind of, I almost think about this as kind of like, you know, we're filling up the board with stuff. The second thing, though, is then what's happening is we're trying to give people the opportunity to test out their ideas that they can then develop further in the assessments, right? So, like, if they're going to, so now we've got a poem, we've, we've thrown a lot of stuff at it, and now we're saying, okay, so what does it mean, right? So then the students are venturing their ideas to say, well, maybe it, it means this, maybe it means that. And then my job is, is to say, okay, maybe, but you remember you also got to think about this or how does that fit with what we tell the other thing and it it's and, and that too is relatively low stakes because i'm always you know the goal is that is not to get it right in class like there's no getting it right when it comes to inter i mean it's different in different disciplines but right no right answer to the way we interpret a poem so like they they're they're testing ideas out it's like a, a playground for them to kind of throw out their ideas and then ideally they leave the classroom and they say okay because I, 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 I gave my idea, he responded to it, I heard three other ideas from my peers, now I've got a better idea of what I can do. So again, like that all is, should not be the kind of, there, there's no place there for me kind of like grilling someone about their views or like, you know, showing that they, they, they didn't read carefully enough, right? Like it's, it's, it's together, the whole class is trying to brainstorm, get new ideas, and get like from this place where we, this was a baffling work that we didn't understand to now we've all developed our understanding further and now you can go off individually after the discussion and develop your, your understanding further as well. So um, so really this, this is something that I had to really learn as a teacher is you really have to think about what is the purpose of the discussion? Why are we even bothering to have the discussion? 
are we like debating it because you know because it's fun or we think it's developing our debating skills or is there this other purpose that's happening um to get to deeper levels of learning right i find i can often sort of uh, juice that on a, an observation when I'm when someone comes into my classroom. If I'm not expecting them, I can sort of call on some students who I know are going to have the right answer to sort of be like, see, that was a discussion. People said <laughs> things out loud. <laughs> right. right? Someone said something out loud and then someone else said, I agree with the answer that student got. So, yeah. I mean, they were building on each other's answers, weren't they? But of course, that is um, <laughs> every teacher knows how to sort of juice that. But that's not really an authentic discussion. Yeah, no. So just, again, and so again, it's just like, why, why do you want participation, right? Yeah. Like the purpose of the participation. Um, and so once you think through that, then you can decide like, okay, well, so then what fits or what makes sense here for this particular content and always tied to what they have to do, right? Like, so what ultimately am I going to be evaluating of their work? Are they going to write a paper? Are they going to write an essay? I mean, they're going to take an exam or whatever. Everything happening in class should be getting them ready for that. So, right. like, um, you know, so, so that's that's we have to always keep thinking about that. All right. Well, I'm Dr. James Lang. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. All right. You bet. Very interesting. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So that does it for my conversation with Dr. James Lang. I just want to thank him again for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, once again, please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, do whatever you need to do to spread the word about what do you teach. Uh, all of the stuff you're already doing is really helping. Also, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian Elberg so you can stay up to date on the podcast, hear about new guests, and reach out to me to tell me you liked the show if you liked it. If you didn't like it, keep it to yourself, quite frankly. All right, uh, that's it for this episode. Hope to get you listening again or something like that. Whatever. If you've listened this long, thanks. <laughs>